0: That is so infrequently the answer <laughs> that I know how to do this and I've done this before. That's not the door that it leads you to future growth. You'll be amazed what you can accomplish by admitting that you don't have the answer. You're listening to the Building a Coaching Culture podcast. If you need to compete and win in the 21st century labor market as an employer of choice, this podcast is for you. Each week, we share leadership development, coaching, and culture development insights from leading experts who are developing world-class cultures in their own organizations. And now, here's your host, J.R. Flatter. Hey,
1: everybody. Welcome back. This is J.R. Flatter, and I'm your host for the podcast Building a Coaching Culture, and I'm joined by my Co host, Mr. Lucas Flatter. Hello. Who represents our, blue, our uh, millennial generation. I'm the boomer voice of the group. And we're very honored to have as our distinguished guest today, CEO and leader extraordinaire, Ms. Brittany Chang. So welcome, Britt.
0: Hello. Good morning.
1: So I just remind everybody who our audience is. So building a coaching culture, three elements to that building leadership depth getting coaching from external coaching experts for our leaders, but also building coaches within the organizations. And then finally, the third part, building a world-class coaching culture to compete and succeed in the 21st century. So that's kind of the backdrop of where we're at. But other than that, anything and everything is fair game here that you might want to talk about. So I'll start off, I'll just pass the floor over to you, introduce yourself to our audience and brag about yourself a little bit.
0: Well, hello, everyone. Good morning. It's nice to be here. As JR said, I'm the chief executive officer of Flatter Incorporated. It's a family-owned business where you know JR founded the company in 2002. Uh, my husband works there. About me, I've been in the industry and federal contracting for about 15 years, leading teams, Coaching before I knew it was really coaching, uh, but more formally coaching in the past couple of years um, through our two or, two words leadership curriculum, learning about what it is, learning how to do it even better than than what we were doing in the past. So I've been really excited about that that development. But you know, continuous learning has always been something I've been interested in. I'm pursuing a master's right now in homeland security, which I'm absolutely loving. It's really great to be a student again and to be cracking books and reading about new things. So yeah, that's a little bit about me right now. Our company just won business of the year for our regional chamber of commerce. So really proud of that. Um, Super proud of the, the team and the growth that we've been experiencing across the last five years. We've more than tripled in size. And, you know, that's just due to the amazing team we have and super proud of the company we're building.
1: Here we are in the 23rd year of the 21st century. Leadership stays the same generation after generation, in my humble opinion, but the expectations of leadership are changing. People's expectations of the organizations they work with and for are changing. Talk to us about, and you're achieving amazing growth. So talk to us about how you lead in the 21st century while growing, while competing,
0: Yeah, I I think finally we're getting to a point, I think this is always true to a certain extent, but where the culture of the team is more important than the expertise on the team. And, you know, I think we have said for a long time, culture eats strategy for breakfast. But I've really seen that in action over the past couple of years. For example, we have a a particular team that we've been kind of struggling with, and there's been high turnover, and we've had some kind of bad eggs on the team, but they had the resume, they had the quals, they had the experience, but they weren't getting along as a team and they weren't functioning well. And we actually ended up reshaping the team with cultural priorities, less certifications, less experience, less education, but the strengths were there as far as the personality types, the uh, positive attitude was there, and all of a sudden they're they're producing you know twice as much. The customers giving us positive Cpar reports, and it's just been really impressive to see. And they're happy, they enjoy each other, they're they're fun to be around. Yeah, I think that to me is what I'm observing is changing the most.
1: Yeah, that's a fascinating perspective. We'll come back to that, Luca. What do you got?
2: The recruiting aspect makes me, you know, think about the other side like if you're trying to find a position and you have like, you know, the right technical skill set, what kind of things would you say to to look for if you're looking for a new position?
0: So for a candidate looking looking to find a good team to work on?
2: Yeah, with the right culture fit.
0: Yeah, I mean I think you want to ask those questions, right? Like how how many days a week am I gonna be working 12 hour days? You know, what what's the culture after five PM on Microsoft Teams or Slack? Are you guys, you know, messaging each other through the middle of the night? You know, don't be afraid to ask those cultural questions. Cause I, I think they also get those organizations to start kind of thinking about their practices and maybe they want someone to ask those questions and challenge them a little bit. So I I would say, you know, ask just as many of the soft questions as you do about the actual work.
1: In this market, it's the person seeking the job. You're not in charge of the process, but you're certainly in a position of strength. So don't be afraid to ask those challenging questions because the last thing you want to do is join a team where the culture doesn't agree with you. And I would suspect that, your philosophy is that you're working zero 12 hour days, or maybe by <laughs> rare exception, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we of all of, have those exceptions. I think, I think you're a team player if you're willing to, to you know, get, get the deliverable across the finish line, but that absolutely shouldn't become the rule. It should be the exception.
1: Yeah. We talk about, at least I do, with the toilet brush analogy, even though I've owned and led the company for 20 years in one capacity or another. All of us pick up a toilet brush whenever we need to. So that's just part of the culture. And I think it attracts people to know that you and I and all the other senior leaders here are willing and able to do that when the time comes. But it's it's the exception, not the rule. I'm teaching another class here in a few minutes. And one of the slides is I'm bragging about a trip that I just got back from that in 20 years of business, I've never missed or rescheduled a vacation. Mm-hmm. Even when we were days old, we were on a cruise as a family. So that's how you build culture. That would be my next question. Talk to us about as the CEO of a global company, and a lot of those people are remote all over the world, how do you create a culture?
0: Yeah, I think it's through you know those touch points that you do have with your teams. it's it's not often, but you you have to kind of create meaningful touch points. so, we very purposefully kind of mapped out little short-term wins and, and touch points where we get to, you know, make impressions on our team. For example, during their f- first three months, so three months after hire, we interview the employee about what their experience has been so far. We ask them about how's it going with their supervisor. Are there? Are there? Is everything working with their benefits? So it's one hundred percent an opportunity for them to give feedback to us and we don't give any feedback to them as far as their performance. Um, So that, that's one of those touch points. We celebrate birthdays. We celebrate anniversaries. We do site visits. We've got teams in New Jersey, El Paso, Pennsylvania, and we physically drive out there and someone goes to see them to have a lunch or to see how they're doing especially in our industry, you'll have federal contractors who have never met anyone from their headquarters. Yeah, that always blows my mind. (laughs) (laughs) We never want to be that story that people tell.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it still blows my mind that our chairwoman handwrites cards to every employee, every child of every employee, birthdays, anniversaries, and with a little gift card in there. And also your new uh, spot awards and the awards you give every quarter. And I think you're pretty disciplined about staff meetings, even though it's cumbersome uh, and it's virtual, having those quarterly staff meetings, I think, is a critical piece. But I think more than anything you mentioned is making everyone feel like they're part of the family. Mm-hmm. You know, we are an intergenerational family-owned business, but the family goes far beyond the DNA. It's woven into everything we do. And communicating that and demonstrating that, so I think you do a really good job with that.
2: So, kind of thinking about the ways that you're deliberately building culture, um, are there some things where you kind of mentioned earlier um, you had to kind of shift the team around to, you know, improve the culture? What are those kind of triggers that say like, oh, we need to we need to make a corrective action on the culture here?
0: Yeah, I think it's team by team, too. But what I'm really trying to do is to make it so, you know, they say communicate, communicate, communicate. Like the company has to understand the culture to be the culture. So we do that through our program managers, because right now we have over 200 individuals in the company, either W-2s or consultants, And as much as I'd like to talk to every single one of those people and be that voice that's communicating to them, it's not possible. So the program manager level are the ones that I want them to understand my vision. And I think that right there is a non-negotiable. So if they don't get it or they're resistant to the culture that we're trying to put into place, you know, they insist on having an, a meeting at 7 a.m. every Monday or, um, you know, they're just pushing back on the cultural things. I think that's kind of your first line of defense that you need to not compromise on. And then team by team, once they kind of understand what you're striving for, they can kind of gauge within their team. But they definitely, as a as a manager, have to feel empowered to say, hey, this this person isn't a cultural fit and Brittany and Oliver and JR are going to support me if I ask to remove this person, even though they've got the certs, even though they've got the education, even though maybe the customer loves them that we might have to remove this person from the team because they're not a good fit. So easier said than done. I won't say we're perfect at it, but that's the goal.
1: Yeah. I know that was part of the conversation when you sat in the CEO chair, you can't sit in that chair unless you're willing and able to make those very tough decisions. One of the things you and I talk about regularly behind the scenes when this is about to occur or we're thinking about it is it never hurts as much as you think it's going to. And it's always, at least it has been our experience, it's always in the best in the long run. I think it was Peter Drucker who who had that quote that you mentioned a minute ago. So you indirectly talked a second ago about goals, objectives, and key results. And that's a framework that you use. Talk to us about what that is and is it valuable to you?
0: Yeah, and I think it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before about making impressions and having touch points where you're actually doing the culture thing, right? Not that you know, Brittany and Jr. have this vibe about us and we have this charisma and we have this culture, but it actually translates into boring SOPs and documents <laughs> and forms. Like it actually translates through the DNA of the company. So one of those things that that we do is to publish our, our goals, objectives, and key results. And we do that through our, our payroll system. It has a nice information system where it pushes out uh the goals so everyone can see them. So, you know, the goals aren't sitting in the the ivory tower where only the C level executives get to see them. Everyone gets to see them. And I, I think that further empowers people to say, hey, I have an idea and this contributes to JR's quarterly goal for spring twenty twenty two. So it creates opportunities and I've definitely seen more engagement from the employees since we've started doing that about, oh, hey, I know someone who works in this industry or you should talk to this person. And it just, you know, they become a force multiplier.
2: I've heard in other organizations like, you know, with teachers and, you know, people that are being graded on certain metrics They start to kind of like resent those, like being measured by certain things. How do you keep Mm -hmm. that from being like, you know, a draconian limiter Mm. of people's productivity?
0: Yeah. Well, the Gokers, the way John Doer recommends that you implement them, is that they're not tied to evaluations Mm. at all. So that's a really hard balance to strike where you're not tying your organizational goals to someone's individual performance. I think if you tie the individual performance more to those cultural things of, hey, is your team engaging in professional development? Is is your team delivering X, Y, and Z and make the managers accountable for their team's performance rather than individual metrics? I mean, we don't have any metric also out there that is going to drive You know, unintended consequences like I want you to turn in 15 bids a month. Well, that's not a metric I want to put out there because then we're (laughs) going to be turning in garbage bids. Like ours, for example, we wanted to prepare for a DCAA audit. So we had some goals and number of SOPs we wanted to complete um, by the end of this quarter. And they're supposed to be reached too. So you're not supposed to be meeting the goal every quarter because if you're hitting it every quarter, you're probably not reaching as far as you should be reaching.
1: Yeah, uh, just flash up, John Doerr, Measure What Matters, is what uh, you're referring to. Started out in Silicon Valley, but spread all over the world now. And I think it's important to note that there, each of the three have different focus. So the goals are long-term. They're a little less clear. Objectives, as you said, are aspirational and inspirational. And we do quarter to quarter. You can do month to month. There's several different ways to do the objectives. And then the key results are really where the rubber meets the road. Those are the milestones that you can measure and see. And they really tell you, am I getting closer to my goals through my objectives? So wanted to toss that out as well. So it's obviously that you're a woman leader, woman who is a leader, woman leader. You're in an industry dominated by people that look like me, boomer men, not to throw in a lot of fantastic Women leaders in this industry, but certainly dominated by men. How do you lead as successfully as you are in that environment?
0: I've never, you know, felt as if, you know, being a woman has held me back or anything like that. I think I've been very blessed to have people like you supporting me and, you know, telling me I can do this. I think from the age of 12, you <laughs> crossed out your name on your business card that said CEO and wrote mine there. So, <laughs> you know, you kind of explicitly told me that I can do this. So thank you for that. <laughs>
1: oh wow. Yeah, I, I remember the exact moment. It was actually you and Lucas at lunch at that Indian restaurant. And you were arguing with each other. I said, what are you two arguing about? And you said, Hey, I'm the older one. I should be the CEO. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Oh, really? Funny. <laughs> anyway. Yeah.
0: I mean, we probably just described right there what the missing link is though, for a lot of female leaders is that positive affirmation that, Hey, you can do this. I mean, a lot of people, you know, link that positive feeling with actually seeing examples of female leaders and, you know, that is somewhat missing, Let, let's say from the the major general core, you know, we look at that audience and they don't look very female or they might not look like you. So I think just keep promoting diversity. Um, we, we measure, you know, the number of female program managers at our company and not not just that throughout the company, like we're forty percent, 47% female. Like that's not the only metric we look at. We look at what does that look like in the leadership also?
1: Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, We are very blessed with our leadership team here. And actually, we recently celebrated our 20th birthday and had an event, uh, a lunch to celebrate that. I guess it was an early dinner. You know, as we looked out at the the room full of leaders, it was just incredible to see who we had collected Mm -hmm. or enticed, I guess, through our culture to be part of this experiment with us.
2: So I wanted to ask about, you know, kind of keeping a balance with all the things going on in your life. You've got the master's degree, you know, five kids at home, CEO, you know, extracurriculars. How do you kind of balance like finding new opportunities, saying no to new opportunities to kind of make sure your life is not as hectic, you know? Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean that's really hard, especially with, you know, we we've kind of have an overachiever I think culture in our family. <laughs> so mm-hmm. the first, my first reaction is usually to say yes, right? Like, oh, mm-hmm. that sounds interesting. I'd love <laughs> to do that. Yeah, yes, I want to be on the board of the Rappahannock United Way. Yes, I want to be on the board of Riffian Investments. Yes, I want to finish my masters and double up on classes so I can finish in the fall. But I think once you kind of fill your plate, you start to kind of realize like, oh gosh, like some of these things have to go. So as much as it pains me, I'm going to be taking my final class in winter. So I won't graduate until spring of 2023. I'd like to do it earlier, but you know, it's not a race. It's (laughs) what's one semester going to do. So just, just kind of letting go of some of those things that don't serve you, you know, that, that doesn't serve me to graduate a semester early And just kind of thinking about those things, I think some time for self-reflection is really important, which is where coaching comes into play, right? Like I have a coach and I like to meet with my coach on Monday mornings and look forward at the week and kind of talk out loud about my priorities. And in, in that short hour of coaching, I'll realize, hey, I need to drop this off or, you know, this really doesn't, contribute to any of my goals. Like, why am I worrying about this? Or why is this on my plate?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's where I wanted to go next. And that's coaching. I know you're an accredited coach. And we'd love to hear about that. But I'd like to start with as a leader being coached, we talk about the magic of coaching. Talk to us about what is it about that relationship or that hour that is so magical for you?
0: You know, maybe some people can do this on their own, but I find it very difficult to set aside time for self-reflection. So I I think for me, what coaching does is it forces that commitment to personal development and growth. And I, I think that's what's the most important to me about my coaching experience. I think kind of looking out at my company, it's a little bit different, I think, organizationally, it's more about individual empowerment and individual level decision making and critical thinking and not micromanaging, but having people kind of do their own problem solving at their own level. So I think both sides of that coin, I mean, I get tremendous value from, from a coaching culture.
1: Hey, thank you for that. You're obviously a very successful leader. What advice would you give to someone who's thinking about Sitting in your chair someday, in any regard.
0: Oh, that's a hard one. You know, because every everyone has a different path. Everyone kind of gets here a little bit differently, has different resources. You know, different support system. I, I would say, don't be afraid of of not knowing. You know, mm-hmm. don't don't lead with expertise. I think you know that's where maybe some of the, the imposter syndrome comes from. Of I haven't done this. I don't know how to do this. That is so infrequently the answer <laughs> that I know how to do this and I've done this before. You know, that that's not the door that you know leads you to future growth. It's it's unknown. It's it's oh gosh, I've never done this before. So I think just embracing that and knowing that that's going to happen 9 times out of 10, you're not going to know the answer and that's that's what are network is for right that's what your team is for that's that's what the capitalism is for you know go out and find that expertise build an amazing team you'll you'll be amazed what you can accomplish by admitting that you don't have the answer
1: yeah so what I hear when you're saying that is you're you're touching on this topic that we call technical cognitive and emotional intelligence alignment so as a CEO at the top of the Organizational pyramid, working with your program managers and your others in your C suite and your headquarters, and then at the uh, functional level, talk to us about the different levels of intelligence that are needed, and and where is your focus?
0: Well. I love technical work. You know, I love opening up a spreadsheet and Mm. um, looking at profit margins and digging into programs. And I can open up an Excel sheet and get lost and spend like 90 minutes and be like, oh gosh, I haven't done any strategic planning today. I need to look (laughs) at the next 24 months. So, So technically, you know, I think each of us have technical expertise that we're really proud of and we really enjoy that. And then, you know, moving up, it was the cognitive and emotional, and I think emotional. I I really enjoy that. You know, the relationships with the employees and connecting with people. I think it's a matter of not feeling like you're be not being productive when you're spending time in those areas. Mm-hmm. Like the three hours I took for lunch yesterday was just as important as the ninety minutes I spent balancing the profit on one program if, if, if it was more important actually it was much more important than than the excel work <laughs> so i think just you know kind of giving into that and spending time in those areas even though it feels like you're not you know you didn't have a product at the end of it but you know there was an output to to that investment
1: yeah and, and what i hear you saying between the lines is a very common phenomenon of leaders that if it's not technical, if I can't touch it or taste it or feel it or see there's a hole, Doug, or there's a spreadsheet built, that it's not valuable. That's certainly, I, I think, a maturation in leadership and leadership effectiveness as you rise in the ranks. You said it. You said it absolutely. That is not wasted time. It's actually more valuable. But when you're leading through emotional intelligence, you might not see the result ever. I tell a story all the time of some emotional intelligent leadership that the gentleman that it happened to found out about it 20 years later, how it changed the person's life entirely.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And they had no idea. It was a single conversation in a single afternoon, yet 20 years later. Mm -hmm. And also the technical and cognitive are more comfortable. You know how to do that. And you just said, you say all the time, I don't know from your EQ chair.
2: So I guess in coaching might be part of the answer to this, but how do you kind of reassure yourself that, you know, it is it is worthwhile and, and you are making strides when it's that emotional side?
0: Well, I mean, we try not to drink our own Kool-Aid too much, but I mean, we do get feedback from our employees and from our customers for the first time in a long time on that dysfunctional team I was talking about our customer reached out and just told us what an amazing job they're doing and how much more productive they are and and how everything's going. So we'll get feedback like that. Like JR mentioned it might be years later you'll have someone come to you and say, "You know what? I really miss working at flatter."
1: Hmm.
0: Where whereas we might have felt, you know, like, "Hey, I feel like it was a kind of butts-and-seeps type position, I feel like we didn't make a huge impact on this person. And, and they come back and, and say the opposite. So I think a couple of those little nuggets can definitely keep you going. Um, and if you're not hearing things like that, I guess you really need to be seeking them out because you do need to know what is the impact of, of the culture that we're creating and what's the impact it's having on individuals. I mean, you might be hearing negative things that you need to go take care of.
1: Yeah, that goes back to the building a, a strong culture. If you listen to Daniel Coyle, who wrote The Culture Code, I'll show that here in a minute. You know, he talks about three things, family, safety, and opportunity. So we're part of a family, which you and I spoke about already. But then you just mentioned indirectly the safety. Am I safe to be myself? Am I safe to speak my mind? Am I safe to do my work in the way that I want to do it? And then opportunity. Do I see that I'm getting opportunities to grow personally and professionally? As you come into a workday, describe to us when you went home at the end of the day, you said, wow, that was amazing. What did that day look like for you?
0: I mean, yesterday was one of them for me. Um, Let's see, what do we start the day with? So I have a new rule that I'm I'm implementing on my own day, which is no meetings before 10 a.m. So this is one of those exceptions that I think (laughs) a worthwhile exception. (laughs) When when your president and father asks you to come to a meeting at 900, (laughs) 900, you do it. (laughs) But yeah, so I usually dedicate that time in the morning, like from 8 to 10 to catching up on the news, catching up on emails, you know, taking care of things that I wanted to do yesterday, but I didn't. I turned in a proposal yesterday morning for an an army effort. Most times those go out in the morning, so I like to do early morning submissions. And then Oliver said, "Hey, I, I'm going up to a team lunch. Um, someone who was going to go with me can't go. Are you free?" So I looked at my calendar and I'm like, "You know what? I can I can move these things. I can cancel these these couple technical technical things. I think I had like a." Export compliance meeting that can be moved. Mm-hmm. So we went up, met with one of our teams up in DC, did a team lunch. Yeah, and just driving home, it was one of those days. It was just a really good day. We we didn't win any contracts or anything like that, but we're you know contributing to to the bank of items and source selection. We're building our pipeline. Got to meet with the team. Got some really good feedback from them.
1: Well, Mostly did positive, have one but also option renewal
0: yeah option we got an option- re- renewal but but we also had some really nice like productive conversations about what could we be doing to just you know more more of the good stuff right We talked about a professional development conference for two of the attendees at the table, we talked about our upcoming summer picnic and what we could do to make that the the biggest impact for all the employees so really good day
2: so I know earlier in the podcast, I think it was um. We we're talking about how um, to build a culture, like one of the examples was bringing in a popcorn machine or bring in donuts or, you know, those kind of feel good wins for the team, but that those are kind of surface level. Is there any thing that you can identify that like we've. Take an action on to kind of improve the culture de- deliberately, like that.
0: Yeah, totally. I there's I think there's a meme out there on Twitter, and it's like a box of bagels, and it's like this isn't culture, <laughs> like bringing in bagels on Monday morning. Like, yeah, it's nice, but that's not culture, right? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> to me, culture is when my contracts manager brings calls for us. I'm like, wow, you know, you you care about your team enough that you you're training us. And that that's amazing to me. I always appreciate that. But yeah, you're absolutely right. And I mean, like free coffee isn't culture. I-, I think the things that matter to your employees, right? like what what matters to them? Is it being at the at their dinner table and in uninterrupted at 5 pm? Like that's probably mm-hmm. a lot more meaningful them than- to them than a free cup of coffee.
1: Yeah, you've just reminded me of the different kinds of power that you have as a leader. You have positional power, which obviously you have. You have expert power, which you're an expert in different areas. Reward power, obviously. Coercive power, which we use in the rarest of exceptions. But ultimately, we're all striving for what you're indirectly describing as referent power. And that is... People want to be part of your team because they believe in you. They believe in your vision. They believe in your culture. That's how you attract and retain talent in the 21st century is through exactly what you just described. A three-hour lunch, that they have no tangible outcome other than you know it strengthened your culture. So mm-hmm. that is your best use of time that day. So, one of the requirements of being a distinguished guest on this podcast is you have to give up a secret. Mm. So give us one of your secrets of success.
2: Mm.
0: This is a tough one. I guess the the most important thing to me is humility and just you know checking yourself. <laughs> I ask people in my inner cir- circle to help me with that, just like, hey guys, keep keep me real, keep me honest." Like, does this make sense? I, I usually um, will ask for corporate communications and things like that. Like, I don't know what my employees want, right? Because I'm, I'm somewhat of a, a weirdo. Like, I, I didn't take maternity leave. Like, I know that's not what most of my employees want. So I, I think separating myself from what's best for, for the team is, is important.
1: Oh, that's an incredible statement. We talk about this all the time when we're teaching leadership is that everyone gets to build their own house. And so your house is yours and the 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 work, the amazing people that work with us, they have their own house. And you have the humility to respect that. That's a beautiful thing. All right, Luca, as is our tradition, you get the last question, sir. All
2: right. So I was curious, um, are there anything about being a mother or raising children that you think has taught you about leadership. Any lessons there?
0: Oh, absolutely. So, so many lessons. <laughs> uh, I, I was just kind of reflecting cause you, you think about yourself when you were a child and I was thinking about, I was doing a talk on authenticity and leadership and I was thinking about that. And I was remembering sitting around the dinner table with us, the four of us as kids and, uh, You and Lucas and Jacob used to like always be spilling stuff. And so I don't know if like other people say this, but like they used to call the boys like Messy Marvin. Like, oh, you're messy. You're Messy Marvin. I don't know if that has like roots in another story or like a comic (laughs) or something like that. But then (laughs) my mom's Puerto Rican. And so similarly, when Alexandria and I were messy or we like spilled something or something, we, they would call us Messi Marvita. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, That just like thinking about that memory, probably only ever occurred in our, our household. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just think about, you know, the, now on the flip side of that being a mother and like the experience that my kids is are having is like so different from our upbringing and we have the cultural fusion of my husband being Chinese and army veteran and, yeah, I mean, so many le- lessons there about removing yourself from what you know what they want to do and that sort of thing. But it's it's been fun.
2: Yeah, I know what you. I think the quote I saw was like, "the kid's not going to play with the toy the way you want to, them to play with the toy," and you're like, "put the puzzle together." And, you
0: know. <laughs> I want to eat the puzzle.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, looking at the clock, I think we're about at the end of our allotted time well that concludes this episode of building a coaching culture i truly hope that this episode was helpful to you if it was be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts maybe stop and give us a rating or a review and share this podcast with someone who might find it helpful as well thanks again and we'll see you next time